I remember when my life was unsettled. It seemed as if there were no rhyme or reason. Day after day, night after night, my heart would continue beating. But what for? What purpose? No explanation. How long would I be waiting? But then, then it all changed and all of a sudden the peace just washed over me. I encountered one like no other. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings and He is the Prince of Peace. Peace. <laughs> what a need. What a gift and what a promise. This changed everything. Because you see, this Prince of Peace, He calls me His child. And now I belong in His family. He even calls me his masterpiece, like the Mona Lisa or the Sistine Chapel. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He tells me that he knows the plans he has for me, plans for good and not for disaster, but to give me a future and a hope. Now here's the pivot point. I found peace <laughs> and it changed everything. And now I have a fire burning within that I can't contain. And do you know what? I don't want to. I long for this world to experience this peace that passes all understanding. When God's people come together, nothing can stop us. We are agents of hope. We are agents of peace. One life at a time, let's band together as a church. You see, we can't hold this peace in when we are called to be peace out. begin with a word of prayer as we kick off a new sermon series today. Let's pray together and just ask God to do what only he can do as he leads us to do what he wants us to do. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we do thank you for that old rugged cross. We thank you for what it represents. We thank you for the love, the love that compelled Jesus to and through that old rugged cross. Father, this morning we have celebrated your goodness in worship. We've celebrated baptism. We've, we've considered what you have in store for us. And it's our prayer right now, God, as we go to your word, that you would stir something deep within each and every one of us. Father, I ask again this morning that you would speak through me. God, that you would speak in spite of me and use this time for your purposes. God, for your glory and for our good. We ask this prayer in the matchless, perfect, saving name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> across 27 years from 1948 till 1975, John Wooden amassed a standard of excellence, of success in college basketball that will probably never be surpassed. Between 1965, 64 and 75, Wooden's teams won 10 national titles across those 12 seasons. It is an absolutely staggering statistic. And as he amassed 
over 660 wins with a winning percentage over 80%. Wooden coached some of the greatest talent to ever play basketball in the history of the game. Names like Al Cinder, who became Kareem, Walton, Hazard, so many and too many to count. And yet, no matter how talented his teams were, Coach John Wooden began every single season exactly the same way. He would gather this team that became incredible, the most talented team in the country by the time he was done recruiting. He would gather them in the locker room and begin the season not by teaching them a new offensive set or a new defensive scheme, but he would begin by teaching the greatest talent in the country how to put on their socks. Now think about that for just a second. If you're one of the most recruited athletes in the country with the most celebrated coach that the sport has ever known, and you walk into the locker room for that first practice and you're kind of, you know, a little on edge and a little nervous, what's going to happen? How does he weave his web of magic? And he begins by telling you, take out your socks. And he then begins to teach these incredibly talented thoroughbreds how to put on socks and shoes. Here's how Wooden described this annual ritual years and decades after he was done coaching. He said, the most important part of your equipment is your shoes and socks. You play on a hard floor, so you must have shoes that fit right. And you must not permit your socks to have wrinkles around the little toe where you generally get blisters or around the heels. It took just a few minutes, but I did show my players how I wanted them to do it. Hold up the sock, work it around the little toe area and the heel area so that there are no wrinkles. Smooth it out good, then hold up the sock while you put the shoe on. And the shoe must be spread apart, not just pulled on the top laces. Nay, nay. You tighten it up snugly by each eyelet. Then you tie it. And then you double tie it so it won't come undone because I don't want shoes coming untied during practice or during the game. I don't want that to happen. I'm sure that once I started teaching that many years ago, it did cut down on blisters. It definitely helped. But that's just a little detail that coaches must take advantage of because it's the little details that make the big things come about. A lot of people in our world would say John Wooden was a micromanager. John Wooden was a control freak. And yet, John Wooden won over 660 games in the NCAA as a head coach. And yet, John Wooden had a winning percentage of over 80%. Was he a control freak? Or was he rather just a great leader who knew the immutable law, not just of basketball, but of life, that it's the little details that make the big things come about. Now, you and I are six weeks away as of this moment from celebrating the central detail of the Christian faith, specifically the fact that Jesus Christ went to the old rugged cross, was crucified because he became my sin, he became your sin, and he rose again. This is the fact. This is the reality that anchors 
the Christian faith. And six weeks from today, we will celebrate this as a church family with the rest of the church family around the world. But, matter of fact, right now, tell your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm, this is a big but. But, a lot of days, we miss what Jesus accomplished in the cross. There are a lot of days that a lot of us miss the reality of what was accomplished in that first Easter. And it's to that end that today you and I as a church family begin this series of messages called Peace Out. Now, a lot of times we'll see kids on TV go peace out like bye-bye, deuces. But this kind of peace out is a different animal altogether. When we say peace out in the context of the Christian faith, what we're saying is that we are going to live out this central fact of Easter. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to look in Colossians chapter number one. We've only got two passages of scripture today, but they are massive for what God has in store for anyone who would follow Christ and specifically for us as a church family over the next few weeks. When you begin to understand and appropriate, when you begin to spiritually metabolize what happened on and through the old rugged cross, you begin to see life, you begin to experience life, you begin to express life much differently. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Verse 19 says this, For God, in all his fullness... In all of his godness, God was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Watch this. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, me, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Verse 20, he made peace. He made peace. This is the promise of the cross, that we might live in that peace, that we might experience it. But as we're going to see throughout this series, it's not just about our experiencing it. I think a lot of times we step short, we stop short of what God has intended for us in the peace that passes understanding, the peace that he promises to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, because it's not just for us. He designed this peace to be in us and to overflow out of us so that we might truly live peace out we might share it with people who don't yet know it. One of the things that you can know about God is every single time, say every single time. Every single time, every single time he blesses a human being or a group of human beings. It is always designed to bless those beyond who initially receive the blessing. He always blesses people to bless other people in every way, shape, and form. Every time. I'll give you a great example. Julie Richard, my wife, 
How many of y'all know Julie? Right now she's over leading in LAC Kids. Amen. Amen. Married so far over my head I can't even see straight. That's okay. But as great a blessing as Julie is to me, and she is, believe me, I can't even imagine that I get to wake up next to her every day. We get to do life together. I get to get better and listen to her critiques all the time. I am a better guy because of Julie. But as great a blessing as she is to me, what God gave me in Julie, God desires to see bless other people as well. So that if we take care of our marriage, like if you take care of yours, if you're married, that then blesses other people people. If we have a good marriage, that blesses, well, first of all, Emily and Joseph, our kids. They, they kind of look at that and go, hey, mom and dad like each other. Cool. Empty nest, knock yourselves out, take care. But it's not just about us. It's also about what God wants to do in and through us in the lives of other people. If you receive a financial windfall, that's a blessing from God, any way you cut it. And yet you can know that God has blessed you and desires you and will hold you accountable for how you bless other people from the blessing you have received every single time. And so when God made peace with those of us who walk in a relationship with Christ, with those of us who know God personally because of the forgiveness afforded us through the old rugged cross, then that peace is designed to be shared with as many people as possible. It ain't just about me. It ain't just about you. It's about sharing it with as many people as we possibly can. And you and I live in a world. You and I hang out with people. You maybe go to school in classrooms or work in a marketplace or live in a neighborhood that is literally dying on the vine for more peace. We, we live in a world that is racked by anxiety and stress and chaos and confusion. And it's against that backdrop that God says, you will be my people. You will be my witness and my vehicle for peace into the lives of those people around you who need it so badly. Just real quickly, we know that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. 40 million adults in the U.S., age 18 and older, are afflicted with anxiety disorders. 40 million. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, but only about one-third of those suffering receive treatment. Doctor calling. <laughs> only about one-third who need it receive the treatment. Women are twice as susceptible to anxiety disorders as men, and men are less than half as likely to report anxiety disorders. All kinds of issues wrapped up in that little number. We need more peace. In 2013, the American College Health Association surveyed close to 100,000 college students over 12 months. 84.3% of college students felt overwhelmed by all they had to do. 60% felt very sad. 57% felt lonely. 51% felt overwhelming anxiety. And 8% seriously considered suicide. Now the numbers 
are staggering. The numbers are irrefutable. But the numbers are not the end of the story. The numbers point us to our need for peace. The need for peace that God has offered us in Jesus Christ. When you look at Colossians chapter 1, the Bible tells us that he made peace with everything on, in heaven and on earth by Christ's blood on the cross. He made peace. Now, I want you to think about something for just a second. If he's already made peace, why are the numbers as staggering as they are? If, if there's all this peace running around, how come more of us haven't experienced it? It's because God has established the route to peace and invites us to take that journey with him. But not all of us take the journey. Not all of us make the trip. This past week, Julie and I got to spend a little bit of time with our older child, Emily, in South Carolina. And it was an amazing trip. As she's wrapping up her collegiate career, she actually had a project for school where she was forced to earn academic credit to help work on the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Now, I don't know about you, but my academic career did not look anything like that. And as supportive parents, Julie and I felt like we needed to be there for her, so we went. <laughs> parents make sacrifices. This is what we do. But to be there, to experience time with Emily, to experience the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, you got to make the trip. The, the, the festival's being put on, but you got to make the trip. You gotta, you gotta get there. You gotta jump on Southwest Airlines and fly through Houston, which is not as bad as it sounds because they got papacitos in the restaurant in the airport. But but you you have to make the trip. And for a lot of us, the reason we don't experience all of the peace that is afforded us in Jesus through the cross is because we're not making the trip. We're not taking care of the little stuff, the elementary stuff. How cool, how cool was it in this worship service just a few moments ago when we saw each of the lives preach a sermon of transformation when they were baptized here in this water? When you saw the little kids go under the water, when you saw that big burly dude go under the water, you're like, whoa, he's going to splash it out. That's fine. Each one of them is preaching the most powerful sermon ever proclaimed because they're preaching the power of a life transformed by Jesus. That's step one. That, that's, that's elementary. That's, that's Christianity 101. It is following Christ in baptism. And then following Christ in every part of life. In every part. Now, I want to be very clear. The fact of the matter is that sometimes life can conspire to create chaos and confusion, stress and anxiety. That happens. And you and I get to choose how we respond to it. Sometimes we need the help of a trained Christian counselor to navigate the waters of anxiety and stress and the absence of peace. Sometimes it may even be necessary for, for a season 
of medication to, to kind of equalize things and recalibrate chemically. Those things happen and they're real. But if you think that we don't live in a country that is ridiculously over-medicated, you're kidding yourself. Now, that may not be you. That may be you. That's between you and the Lord and your medical professionals rooted in the reality of Scripture. But we have to address this. This has gone on long enough for us to live peace out. we got to know peace in here. We, we have to experience it in our relationship with God. It's too important to just kind of dance around or skate around or kind of allude to in a sermon. We need to tackle it head on and address it so that we can experience and express everything that God has for us in Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that this series, this message, is not judgment. This series and this message is hope. It is the hope that we have in Christ because God has made peace. You see, anxiety comes out of conflict. How many of you have had a disagreement or an, a conversation involving friction with a friend or family member in the last month? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, wait, don't, don't put your hands down. Look around the room. Everybody's raising their hand except the liars. <laughs> Do you understand how common this is? Look around the room. Man, I, I hate it. I literally hate it when Julie and I get on, the, on different pages. We so rarely fight or disagree, really. But there are times when it's just kind of like, just kind of a little sideways. You know what I'm talking about? That, that creates so much, I just, I, ugh, I don't like it. I hate it. And then when I figure out what I did wrong and confess it, we get past it and everything's better. I'm going to tell you something. In all seriousness, that's one of the most irritating things about Julie. She is almost always right. That drives me insane. But that's my own cross to bear. I'm working on it and getting through it. But I'm just telling you, it's when we're in conflict that we're stressed, that we're, we're, we're anxious. And the Bible, the Bible describes the ultimate conflict. What does it say in verse 21? He says, he made peace with everything. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were God's enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Apart from Christ, we are at war with God. We're in conflict with the God who created us for relationship and peace apart from Christ. We're, we're in conflict with him because of our sin, not because of anything he did. God never has to check his motives or his actions. We're the ones who put ourselves at odds with God. And yet Jesus went to the cross, the old rugged cross, to reconcile what we had wrecked. Jesus makes peace through the cross. Because when he rose again, after receiving the judgment that should have been ours, when he rose again, he rose with the promise of a new life, of a repaired relationship with God. You see... 
That's what is accomplished through the forgiveness of sin. And that's why sin is so important. Not because we enjoy talking about it and yeehaw, you know, preach hell hot and heaven sweet. We preach hell because it's real. Because sin is the ultimate agent of relationship wreckage. And it's because of sin that, um, that grace is so amazing. And so we, we have to understand that the Christian faith is not self-help. The Christian faith is not just have a nice life, have a better marriage, do better at school, have better children. Those things are true, but that's not why it's there. We need the cross and the resurrection to bring us back into relationship with God. We need that to be brought, the Bible says, literally from death to life. It's not about just being better. It's about being alive and living the life that is truly life. He has made peace. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's, it's one thing to know about this peace. It's, it's one thing to, to, to accept it intellectually. But it's entirely another to live it out. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, reverence. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now there is a critical, critical sequence here that you've got to understand. He says, work out your salvation. Work it out. That means that salvation precedes good works. Nobody receives salvation because they're a good guy or a good girl. We receive salvation, which is a gift. It is grace, undeserved favor. But then because we have received it, then we begin to live it out. We, we work it out in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we talk to each other, in, in the way that we worship together, in the way that we serve one another, in the way that we tell other people about this amazing grace that we have found. You see, here's what peace out really is all about. It's about being the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and not just playing church. It's not, it's not just playing church. It's not just strolling in whenever the coffee's warm enough and you can make it happen. It's about showing up expectant that God's going to do something. It's about worshiping and lifting up a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be on key, but it's a joyful noise. You, you, you sing and let it fly. It's about making sure that, that our children, the next generation, are engaged in age-appropriate ministries where they're discovering the muscle memory of being the church, of learning what it's like to worship and to learn around other people their age. 
And, and they discover this, this beautiful community, this incredible family of faith. Because that's who we are and that's what we do. You know, as a pastor raising kids within the church, I am completely overwhelmed with gratitude to you. And I'm going I'm to get through this very quickly, but you have no idea the debt that Julie and I owe you all for being the family of faith that you were for Emily and Joseph. They're not even here this morning, probably when we watch online, so I'm just going to get this out right now. You all gave our kids a place to belong. You gave our kids the freedom to grow up and to make mistakes just like every other high school and middle school student does, but, but you did it in, a, in an environment of love. You, you did it in a place that they wanted to be a part of and they want to come back to when they're home. And, and Emily and Joseph, because of who you are and because of the decisions that Julie and I made, they know what it's like to be the church. They know what it's like to not just play at church so that when they got to college, they went and found a church to join and plug into. We told them, you're no longer a member of Lake Hills Church. You can come back and visit, just call before you do, but you, you need to find a church home. That's part of going off. That's part of leaving home. You provided that for my kids. But you gave them a safe place to belong. Your kids need the same thing. You, as a parent, have to set the pace and tell them, we do this because we follow Christ. We do this because it's just the priority for our family. Yeah, Wednesday night, high school, middle school, that's your deal. That's your church family. If you can squeeze in Sunday morning, knock yourself out. But if you're in elementary school or young, LAC Kids, that's your deal. That's, that's where you go. That's what you do. Because that's your church family, and we're, we're learning in this together, and we're growing in this together. It, it's a part of who we are. But, but it's, it's, it's not just playing church. It, it's being the church and living that peace out, that peace in here, then that peace in here, but then that peace out there. And... and sharing it with as many people as we possibly can, working out our salvation, working out our faith in fear and trembling. We've been given this gift. It's overwhelming. What do you do with that? You respond to it. You don't play at church. You are the church. You live it out, and you try to give it and share it to as many people as you possibly can because we've experienced this amazing grace. Because Jesus made peace with everything in heaven and on earth through his blood on the cross. If you're here today and you, you've never stepped into that peace, you, you've never experienced it, maybe you've heard about it, maybe you've wondered, man, is that even possible? We're here to tell you, not only is it possible, it's experienceable. It's a very rarely used word, but very important. It's experienceable. And that may be the exact reason that God has you here today. To begin to make the trip. 
It's one thing to know that there's a festival going on. It's another thing to actually get there and respond to the grace initiative of Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, if you're here and you have never stepped into a relationship with Christ, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. To begin to take the first step in that journey with Christ. Just, just to pray right where you're sitting, a, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. And just silently say to him, just from your heart to his, silently something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your peace. And Jesus, I want your peace. And so I commit my life to you. I will follow you from this moment forward. I confess my sin, my sin that, that ruptured this relationship I was created for with you. I confess it, Jesus, in order to claim to receive the fullness of your, sal of your salvation, your forgiveness. And Jesus, I pray. I pray that as I experience that forgiveness, that grace, that life, that you will give me the courage and the grace to express it, to share it with friends of mine, people who don't yet know how much you love them. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a brief moment because it, it's a sacred moment. When God moves in, in somebody's life and they respond to that grace initiative for the first time, that's holy ground. And so if, if that was your prayer this morning, I want to ask you to do two things, both of which help you and help the church. Number one, we want to just offer ourselves to you, offer our family of faith to help as you take this first step of the journey. If you would just let us know that God did that in your life through the connect card that's in your program. You'll just open that program up, fill it out, the connect card, and indicate there, I'm committing my life to Christ today, this week. Tear it off at the perforation there on the fold, and before you leave, just hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. Nobody's going to show up on your doorstep. That's just a way for us to begin a dialogue and a conversation, a way for you to make a personal connection in faith. 
And then second of all, if that was your prayers, our heads remain bowed for just another moment. Would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand up high over your head and understand that as you raise your hand, you're, you're just stamping this moment. You're saying, this is real. I responded. God did it. And as a church, you're stamping this moment in, the, in our lives because there's nothing more important to us than this moment in your life and others like it. And so as a church, we, we celebrate that. We honor it. As you put your hands down, we love to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.